Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts and residents in pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Wednesday, May 22nd, we're gonna be talking trademarks, copyrights, how to know when to do it, what IP can you do it with, and the common pitfalls that most people fall into when it comes to intellectual property. 101 with Yasmin Salman Hamdan, and you're not gonna wanna miss that on Wednesday, May 22nd. And then finally, to finish off the expert week on Thursday, May 23rd, we're gonna be talking with Pamela Slim, about how to monetize and scale your IP and position it and package it in a way that is unlike anything you've really been taught before. Incredible value from Pamela and all of our experts on our Expert Advantage Week. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage Workshop Series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. The way I see creating an experience, if it's in-person or virtual, is the same as building a campfire. If I were to hold up a lighter to a big log, nothing would happen. But if I burn some paper first and then add some little sticks and at the end add the big log on it, that's where the fire really starts burning. So I try to figure out, okay, what are the different elements we need to do at the beginning of an experience that spark the connections? What are the things we need to add? So then later at the end, after we've built some trust, then we can do the hard things. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest, Jillian Benbow. And today we are talking to somebody who does live facilitation. He's a virtual events facilitator, which was something I'm not sure I would have even uh, like really, I'd been like, what, you know, a few years ago, but (laughs) then 2020 happened and now it makes perfect sense. So today I'm talking to Jan Keck and he has been facilitating events for a long, long time. And when the pandemic hit, he, as many of us did, went virtual. So yeah, we're going to talk about all sorts of things pertinent things we're all feeling like Zoom fatigue and just engaging people and getting people to participate in a virtual space. It can be challenging. So we talk about that. And Jan is fantastic. As you will see, I'm going to stop talking so you can just experience the fun that the two of us had. And then at the end, we can talk about some of the things that I think all of us as community builders can take away. So without further ado, here is Jan Keck.
All right. Welcome to this week's episode of The Community Experience. And I am excited. I am here with Jan Keck. Jan, why don't you say hello? Tell us all about who are you? (laughs) Tell us who you are. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to say that I've been excited to do this interview all day. This is actually the last thing I'm doing because I just relocated to Germany from living in Canada for 14 years. And it's now the end of my work day that we're connecting. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. My name is Jan. I have always had trouble explaining what I do because I'm passionate about many things. But what I've been focusing on the last few years has been teaching people how to create more inclusive, engaging, and meaningful experiences, especially now that we have to overcome the challenge of using technology that sometimes can be a obstacle in participants, people connecting with each other deeply. I've been trying to figure out how can we use the technology in a meaningful way to increase the engagement, the connections between everyone that we're meeting with. Ah, yes, I love it. One of my favorite things about hosting this show is getting to meet people that maybe, I mean, I would like to think I would have met eventually, but it's kind of in a fast forward sort of situation. And I love it. I feel like community people finding each other is the ultimate, (laughs) we nerd out. And we stick together. So welcome to the show. And I didn't realize you just recently moved from Canada to Germany. So you you are like just moved. Like it's going to be four months next week. Oh, wow. Nice. I hope you're enjoying the beer gardens and all the fun things over there. I'm, I'm quite envious. And to talk about, you know, the actual, <laughs> the work you do, it's so pertinent because obviously the pandemic accelerated how we use virtual connection. I mean, some of us have been using Zoom well before, but it's definitely here to stay. And I think we can all agree that we all are kind of sick of it in many ways. And it's a good opportunity to talk to an expert on how to do engaging calls, engaging events, all that kind of stuff. How did you get to where you are now? Like, What was it that steered you into this direction as a a passion and as a career? If I went really far back, things probably started going to summer camp as a kid and experiencing a sense of community there because that really was what my summer looked like, connecting with other kids, then becoming a camp counselor. Like I think I went every year for like 10, 11 years straight before I then moved to Canada and I had to re-find my own community, my own tribe there. And one of the things I've realized only by attending this weekend retreat was that deep, meaningful conversations was something that I really valued, yet did not have a lot of people around to have those types of conversations with. So on that weekend, I now describe it as having made 30 new friends in 48 hours, because on the last day when everybody was saying goodbye and we had this beautiful closing ceremony and people were just like hugging each other, I had this sense of looking around the room where I saw or felt the energy vibrating outside of people's bodies. Sometimes I like to think of the Care Bears that shoot rainbows out of their oh belly. Like yes. that's what I was kind Care of Bear imagining. Stare. Exactly. Everybody just shooting these rainbows around the room. And I did not know that this was missing from my life, that I was missing that community of people where you can show up exactly who you are, where you don't have to hide, you don't have to pretend that you are someone you're not. And I think it was the first time that I had the sense of belonging since moving to Canada. And that was eight years after I moved. 
And now thinking back, it's amazing to think that for eight years, I was walking around not really having the courage to be myself fully. Yeah, since then, I made it my mission to figure out, okay, let's re-engineer this. Like what happened? Like what did we actually do in this 48 hours that made me connect so deeply with those people? And some of them are still really close friends now, almost another seven years later. Yeah, that, that was probably the start before we even went to like figuring out how to do this online. Yeah. I have so many follow-up questions that aren't totally relevant. However, I'm going to ask them anyways, because I'm nosy. Because yes. um, <laughs> we can. So first of all, summer camp. Yes, me too. I loved summer camp. Almost became a counselor at my camp, but then didn't because I was a flake in university. So it's probably better that I didn't. What was your favorite activity at summer camp? Probably anything that involved... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. We called it Geländespiel in German, which basically is a half-day activity where you have to go to different spots. Like you actually have to hike a lot. And then you it's kind of, maybe it's like life action role play a little bit. Like the counters are dressed up as characters. You meet them, you have to complete a challenge. When you complete the challenge, you get some token or something. Then you have to go to the next station. And by the end it all kind of makes sense. You have to connect different things, solve a puzzle and you, I don't know, rescue the princess or whatever the theme was that year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know what that would be called here. And I, there's no way I can say that word in German, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. We did similar things. That was, that was very fun. Very cool. Yeah. There's something about summer camp that is just so great. You did a much better job than I did. It sounds like than like keeping in contact, which I also heard you saying something similar with that workshop group. You seem to be good at that. So like you you come together with people and form a bond and then you seem to be able to take that bond outside of like when everyone leaves and stay in contact. Tell me about that. Is that just natural? I'm terrible at this. So this is why I'm asking. I'm selfishly asking this. Like what are there certain things you do? Because you seem to be the commonality here. So I'm curious on your side how that works. I actually would say that I'm not really good at this either, especially because I felt that having moved continents now twice with the physical distance apart, it's been really challenging. Even when I traveled, so I grew up in Germany, I traveled in Australia for a year and my really good friends, like we promised to stay in touch, but this was like 2005. So there was no Facebook, there was no like I think Skype might've just started being around, but not something like I did not have a smartphone either. So I would be like going to internet cafes to send emails. Oh, internet cafes. I lost touch with a lot of my close friends back then. Like we're still loosely in contact today. There's a small group of us that attempts to meet every New Year's if we're back in our hometown, which is actually where I moved back to. So I'm looking forward to seeing them again at the end of this year. But anytime I moved, even going to Canada and now coming back, I feel like staying in touch has become so much more difficult because you can't just call someone up and meet them in person. And in person, yes, I would say that's probably where staying connected, getting to the deeper conversations is much easier. But virtually, like you really have to work hard to keep those connections alive. It's hard for sure. Yeah, I grew up moving all over the place. My dad worked in the oil industry. So we moved all over the world all the time. And it was, you know, 80s, 90s, 
<laughs> so if you weren't good at keeping, you know, track of people's mailing addresses for, you know, old time, old fashioned mail with a stamp and phone numbers. My mom had one of those like big, it looked like a big binder and it was just people's addresses and, and phone numbers. And you do it in pencil in case somebody moved. I've lived my life with the experience of you make friends in a place and then you move and then you probably will never see them again because a third grader is not going to keep in touch with their best friend from third grade via correspondence and telephone calls, or at least I wasn't. So then technology showed up and I'm like, I need to get out of the habit of just ghosting people if I like move, right? <laughs> or they move because we have the technology now. We can we can stay in touch much easier, but it is, it's hard. Yeah, and I actually have been working a lot on almost making it a habit now that when I think of someone to send them a, send them a message like that moment, because I know if I say, oh, I thought of someone, I should send them a message and then continue with my day, it will not happen. I will remember that maybe the week later, I'm like, oh, I really should have sent that message. I really should do it. And then I continue my day. And again, it will not happen. A friend of mine, Blake Fly, he started this community of people where we reach out to our network, our friends, even like business connections once a week. And he really got me started on, if I see something, take a picture, go into like Facebook Messenger, Instagram or email and like send that picture to that person right away. Even if it's just like a one-liner, hey, just thought of you when I saw this. It's really magical how often people get back and are so blown away by you just thinking of them. Isn't it funny because, so same, same, actually even just this morning, um, there's an app called Marco Polo that I think people have become very familiar with in the pandemic. I was... Well, I shouldn't admit this. I might have been driving, but I was like, oh, I just thought of a friend that I've been meaning to talk to and I keep forgetting. And so I was like, I'm just going to hop on here. Don't worry, everybody. I wasn't looking at it. I was just basically doing an audio recording, but just sent her a quick message. It was like, hey, we haven't talked. I've been thinking about you. And she responded immediately. It was like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about you too. Thank, you know, thanks for reaching out. But you know, you have your friends from like that are on Instagram or whatever. And that's really the only way you know what they're up to. At first, I always feel like self-conscious, right? Like, oh, if I reach out to them, they're going to think it's weird. But they don't because when people do it to me, I'm like so touched that they thought of me. And so I agree. I think we should all just use that motto of if someone pops in your head, hopefully like positively, <laughs> right? Uh, like just take a minute, whether it's a text or Facebook or Instagram, you know, however it is you're connected and just send them like, hey, thinking about you, hope you're good. Or send them the thing that reminded you of them. And audio messages are so great and so easy to do. Like I do a lot of video audio messages too, because sometimes that's actually faster than typing something. Yes, um, it is. But it's much more personable. <laughs> like if you're getting an audio message, especially if if it's someone that you don't know that well yet, it makes you feel really special and important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. So going back to you, you found this thing, right? At that, at that workshop also from camp. And so fast forward, now you're a virtual events facilitator, which you kind of explained how that works. But do you want to talk a little bit about like what, as a virtual facilitator, like what are you looking to accomplish? What are the things that make you stand out from, say, like me just hopping on a Zoom with 50 people and presenting something? You know what I mean? Right. Because I came from the background of technology is evil. When we meet in person, we should turn off our phones. We should put them away. I actually have these 
cell phone sleeping bag. It's basically a padded envelope that I have everyone create and put their phones in at the beginning of an in-person event. Oh my gosh. So we can focus on connecting with each other. And you like seal it? It looked like and a mailing envelope. Oh. I, I once had people seal it at a retreat with a wax seal, even to make that whole process of putting your phone in there a bit of a ceremony, a check-in. So that was my background. Like I felt that when the pandemic started and everybody went online, we can't turn off our technology anymore. Like the biggest challenge will be how can we be present with each other? Like when you're meeting with someone on Zoom, even like for us right now, because we can't make eye contact with each other, I don't know if you're looking at me or if you're checking emails or surfing on social media. <laughs> yeah, no, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Or like, I just look to the side and you have no idea why I did that, right? So it's like, what is she doing? Is she paying attention? Yeah. And in person, it's like the, the equivalent of you talking with a friend and they pick up their phone because a text message came in and they respond to it. And it makes you just feel invisible and ignored and unimportant. And I just knew if we are going to do this, that we are connecting virtually, we need to figure out a way how to do it so we can be present. And that's when I started experimenting with different ways of hosting events, experiences. I hosted something like every week, sometimes even several times a week, uh, starting in March 2020. And one of the events that I did was the one that kind of changed my whole outlook of, I don't think it's possible to, we can create something that is not the same as in-person, but as powerful as in-person in terms of the connection that we feel to other people. And what I actually attempted to do was to do a virtual group hug because I was thinking of all the people living by themselves, not having physical touch, not having anybody to hug. And I thought, oh, I really want to do an event where we support everybody in my community that was craving that touch. And I created a Facebook event, invited a bunch of people, still had no idea how to actually, like what, what are we actually going to do? Because we can't, do a group hug. But what we ended up doing is I invited everyone to grab an object that was had some kind of meaning to them. And ideally something that you could hug. So like a pillow, blanket, a stuffed animal from your kid. And I actually showed those as examples. And just for fun, I also showed this big box of toilet paper that my wife just picked <laughs> up in Costco. Like it was early pandemic. We were really lucky to get one of those. Yeah, <laughs> But as I was hugging it, I kind of felt, wow, this feels the most like hugging a human. Like the stuffed animal was too small, the pillow was kind of too soft, but that felt like hugging a human. So I kept that. I played some emotionally charged movie soundtrack in the background, invited everyone to close their eyes and remember a, a hug that they've either given or received before everything happened. And as I was... And remembering my son giving me a hug the week before, at that time, I think he was around two, where he was terrified by the fire alarm going off in our building. And he just came running to me and like hugged me so tight and didn't let go for half an hour until he fell asleep in my arms. I just got really emotional. Like I was thinking about that moment. Like I couldn't do anything but hug him in that moment. And it made me think of all of the other people that might have had a situation similar that don't have anyone that they can run to and hug. And I started tearing up. And when I opened my eyes, everybody had their own moment, not connected to 
like the same thing that happened to me, but to hug that they've experienced. And yeah, we ended up, I think, staying on for like another hour past the event time to just share different stories and challenges of like living through this weird time in like March, April, 2020. I completely forgot that I was on Zoom, that I was not in the same room with the people. Like we felt connected on a way different level than I've ever experienced talking to a screen. So yeah, I knew, okay, there is something there. Just need to, again, re-engineer, figure out like what actually happened. How can we recreate that so more people can experience something like that? Yeah. What have you found? That was obviously a positive confirmation that you we're onto something. How have you developed your facilitation skills to keep lighting that spark, to keep having those moments? Yeah. One thing that maybe it's just me, but I find as soon as you have to explain to someone else what works, you have to understand it at a way different level. So I kept doing these experiments and hosting different events that really were based on the idea, how can we be vulnerable with strangers? Like, how can we make it so we feel supported to do something that feels outside of our comfort zone when we are not together in the same room. And then I started teaching the things I was learning last week in a workshop the week after. And I kept doing that and doing that. And all of these workshops in the end became now a five-week cohort-based course, which is my virtual facilitator training. And I'm actually just wrapping up cohort seven next week, where I feel like now that I've taught it so many times, People have applied the things I'm teaching. They give me feedback. It's like this. We're constantly making it better and figuring out, okay, so what actually happened at that first event? Like if I look back at it now, I probably have a much better understanding than I did when it when I first hosted that virtual group hug. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And I love that it's that. I mean, I'm always saying in community, you, it's a conversation and you have to get feedback from other people. And so I love that you are really doing that, that you're, there's that constant loop of talking to those who've gone through, you know, in a cohort and then continuing, I guess, to just hone and update and create a really valuable experience for people. That's amazing. So yeah. Tell me more about this course or this work, you know, this, I forget what you called it, but the workshop like that happens. The virtual facilitator training. There it is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> tell me more about that. It sounds interesting. Yeah. So Basically, it started like one of the first workshops I did was just based on I need to teach people how to use Zoom breakout rooms because that's the one feature that to me changed everything. Like there's so much magic that happens in small groups online that you can't do if there's like 30 people in gallery view and only one person can talk at a time and everybody else needs to sit down and listen and can't really participate much. I realized that, yeah, breakout rooms is one big factor and making this happen. So that was the first workshop. Then I did another workshop on how can we actually build an experience? What I shared earlier, participants feel empowered to be outside of their comfort zone because I believe that that's where the biggest learning happens. I also believe that that's where the connection happens the fastest. Sometimes I like to say that relationships travel at the speed of vulnerability. Like the faster we can get to that place where both parties can be vulnerable with each other, the faster we'll create those deeper, meaningful connections. And people who are listening to this can't see this, but behind me, I have this LED campfire. And that is actually how I 
approach creating any experience is similar to building a campfire. And because you went to summer camp, I assume that you, did you ever start a fire? Yes. I also do a lot of outdoorsy stuff, so I can start a fire. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Actually, I would say that a lot of people that attend my sessions are outdoorsy people too, because I feel like you do attract people that are like you in a way. Although I don't put that in my marketing as much, but to me, the campfire has a, a certain significance in my life. And the way I see creating a experience, if it's in-person or virtual, is the same as building a campfire. We want to have this big campfire, but if I were to hold up a lighter to a big log, nothing would happen. But if I burn some paper first and then add some little sticks and larger sticks and my kindling, and at the end, add the big log on it, that's where the fire really starts burning. And campfire is a place that we share stories and we are often vulnerable or more vulnerable with each other sitting under the stars. Like that's always my vision for where an event could end up. So I try to figure out, okay, what are the different elements we need to do at the beginning of an experience that kind of spark the connections? What are the things we need to add? So then later at the end, after we've built some trust and psychological safety with a group, with our participants, then we can do the hard things. But if we skip any of the parts, then we might end up with people feeling really uncomfortable, uh, maybe even like this is the one thing I've noticed on Zoom. Uh, if you send people to a breakout room and they don't feel safe yet, they will actually turn off their camera. They might even sign off and leave the event. And I've heard some of those stories from my students where, yeah, they did a breakout room activity and suddenly a lot of people were by themselves in the room because the other partner decided to, to leave. Mm, that's so interesting. So what advice would you give someone that, that is experiencing that, that's trying to use breakout rooms and it's kind of falling flat? Start with something that is easier for people to opt in and kind of just start with something really simple, like answering a question in the chat. People don't need to have videos on. They don't need to speak. Answering something in the chat is really easy. Uh, doing things like polls. Um, I then often include uh, using micro engagements. And to me, this is asking for a very small kind of micro commitment from participants. Like, hey, does this make sense? Type a yes in the chat. Give me a thumbs up in the camera. When you're ready to go to the next topic, wiggle your finger. Like I have like a whole bunch of different actions and things that I ask people to do, depending on the platform. If we're on Zoom, I might ask them to use the reactions buttons, maybe do something else. But the more I ask them to do something really small and they give me a yes, the more likely they are to do something that requires them to do a little bit more. Like I might ask them to write down the answer to a question first for themselves before I send them to a breakout room. So when they get to the breakout room, they already have an answer. They're not nervous because they don't know what to say. And the same thing when they come back after sending people to the breakout room, they're more likely to then unmute and share. Because I think the worst thing that anybody who's hosting virtual events can do is asking individuals to speak up when they don't know the other people in the room yet, when they don't know you yet. Because that's usually where you get the crickets and the tumbleweeds where you ask a question and then it's really awkward. Or virtual, you can't make eye contact with anyone. You can't walk towards one person, making them feel like, okay, I want you to share something. So it just ends up being this kind of dead end. The more we engage them in smaller ways and then build on top of that, the more likely those moments will not happen. 
It's so true. As you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. Right. But in reality, you know, sometimes I think especially when you're in the thick of it or you're having those engagement or trust issues in a virtual call, it's hard to remember some common sense things like let's make sure people are comfortable. I love specifically what you said about asking people a question in the larger group before the breakout rooms. Nothing's worse than getting in a breakout room. And then it's like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> and then it's it's up to whoever was the better student five minutes ago to to recap what we were supposed to be doing. And I think it also depends on like the types of participants that you have. Like I would say I'm a little bit more introverted if the introverted extroverted scale was a thing, but usually I'm very happy to explore out loud what I'm thinking without having fully formulated my answer. But I also know that there's lots of people who are the opposite, who are like, that is giving me the worst anxiety if I have to like share something before I have figured out exactly what I want to say. Kind of reminds me of like when you learn a new language and like you need to take the time to get your grammar right and look up some words. So once you have the sentence, like I'm totally comfortable going into you know, a bakery and ordering bread once I know the sentence that I'm saying, but going in and then while talking to someone, figuring out the words that make sense. Yeah, that that's giving me me anxiety as well. Yeah, it's like, never mind. I don't need to eat today. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So you mentioned other platforms. I'm curious, besides Zoom, are there virtual platforms you really like? So I love Zoom because it's so accessible and most people know how to use it. There are others that I'm exploring, but it's always a bit of a learning curve. And usually I try to avoid that, especially if it's groups that I'm not spending time, let's say, on an ongoing basis, where it makes sense to spend some time learning a new technology and then we can use it. Often it's like if I work, let's say, for, for with an organization and we're doing a one-off workshop, like we need to get things done in that meeting. We can't spend too much time learning the platform and then troubleshooting for the individuals that it doesn't work for. So that's one reason why I love Zoom, even though that's not always the case. Most of the time, people are able to use it on like different devices. But if there's one other one, I probably would say Butter. Yeah, Butter is cool. Yeah, that's what I was going to say if you didn't say it. <laughs> I'm actually in the process of sending them some event templates for a event that I call Campfire Conversations that people can access through the platform. Nice. Ooh, I'm going to keep an eye out for that. I don't use it currently for the same reasons because everybody has Zoom. I will say, you know, because Zoom is definitely listening to this. I'm a little disappointed when you were given on a silver platter the pandemic and people's attention that some more features didn't come out a little faster. We're still waiting. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, well, there, there are new features coming out all the time. I actually just did one video about a new feature today. And mm, what's the new, what's the, the cool new feature? So my video was about how to read the room on Zoom, which is also something that a lot of people have mentioned to me in the beginning from moving from in-person to virtual. Like you can't intuitively get a sense of if a group is doing well or if they need extra support or if they need more time. Because once you send people to breakout rooms, it's like this black hole, they're gone. And popping in to the room, I kind of compared it like the Hello Johnny scene from The Shining, where you're suddenly like, here I am, 
but don't mind me. I'm just here listening. Yeah, no acts. Just what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very uh, intrusive. Yeah. So there is a new feature where when people are in breakout rooms, you can see if their microphones and cameras are on and if they're talking, you can also see their reactions. So if you were to ask them a question, they could respond with like a the check mark or the X or they could raise their hand. So it just is this tiny little thing that helps you communicate a little bit and just get a slight sense of are they having conversations or did they just turn off their cameras and their mics and went for lunch? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Well, obviously I'm not up to speed with all the uh, new features. So sorry. Sorry, Zoom. Sorry, I was mean. There still are a lot of things that I wish they would have updated and they still haven't done it in two years. Same, same, same. Even just to complain the, and because maybe there's a solution I don't know about. So I, I want to put this <laughs> to you, <laughs> at least for us, like we have a team account, a professional account. Like I can only add a co-host that's the same email that the, you know, team SPI email. It won't let me add like one of our community members as a co-host. I find that very irritating. Yeah, there are different workarounds. There's one in particular that almost nobody knows about. And I didn't know about until another person who's also a Zoom producer, like professional Zoom producer, Robbie Samuels, had me host one of his events where he was away. It's the same Zoom link. It's on his account, but he didn't give me access to his account. He just shared his host code, which is a number that you type in when the host is not present and then you become the host. Something that I can't explain with just audio for anyone who's like trying to follow this when listening. But I think if you just Google host code for Zoom, you can figure it out. The one thing to keep in mind is the meeting needs to be the one where anybody can join anytime for that to work. But then once you enter the code, you're the host and you can just take over without the other person being there. You just changed my life. (laughs) I owe you one. So you mentioned you just did a video on what we were talking about previously. Is this like YouTube or these videos that Tell us where to find all your knowledge videos. (laughs) Yeah, on YouTube is a really good place. I've been investing a lot more energy on YouTube in the last year, especially because I I do believe that technology is not that kind of big bad guy that I used to think. I actually think that if we can use it in a meaningful way, it can be really beneficial. But often a new feature comes out and people like jump on it and they want to use it, yet it does it actually have a place in the meeting or experience that you're creating, or is it just a shiny object that you want to like use? One example would be the Zoom avatars. Like I thought long and hard about like, where is the application to turn yourself into a fox or a mouse or a cat that actually makes the experience better for the people involved? There's maybe one, but even that, like when people can't have their video on, is it better to see them as an avatar where you can still see a bit of movement versus their camera off? I think that depends on each person. Totally. So what is your YouTube channel while we're there? If you just search for my name, Jan Keck, J-A-N-K-E-Z-K, you'll find it. Okay. Excellent. I think all of us will be furiously going to that after listening to this. So I'm curious, uh, and, and I really appreciate you know you going into a lot of this stuff like I said before, it all sounds so simple, but it actually, it, I think you have really taken the time to really look at what it takes to have a successful event. And a big part of that is the participants feeling comfortable. And that I love your starting a fire analogy where you have to start with the 
the little stuff and then it'll it'll all light, but you can't start at the top with the big log, right? I'm curious on the flip side of that, we're all hosting events, but what about when we show up as participants? What do you wish everybody knew or would do as a participant? If you can, if you have the power to not schedule back-to-back Zoom calls, make sure you schedule in breaks. I think that's the biggest thing, especially when I talk to like organizations where often people don't have control over it. And now that there is no commute between one meeting room to the next, you're expected to stay until the top of the hour and join at the top of the hour. So therefore, there's no time for washing breaks, grabbing snacks, getting a fresh breath of air, doing some stretches. All of those things are, I think, why people are tired at the end of the day. Because if you had shorter sessions where it's actually interactive and you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel part of the group, you're not going to walk away as drained. Um, But if you're like four or five hours of back-to-back, I mean... I I need to limit my time on Zoom and I spend a lot of time on Zoom. Um, One thing that I started doing is actually with my training itself, I'm always starting at 15 minutes past the hour. Oh, interesting. I'm now also aiming to end 15 minutes before the top of the hour. So go like from 15 past to 45 past, make them an hour and a half, which seems to be the sweet spot in terms of the content that I want to deliver and the time that people can be engaged and active. I'm basically gifting them 15 minutes at the beginning and 15 minutes at the end. Although I always stay 15 extra minutes at the end anyway. And sometimes people do take the full time for the ones that have like back-to-back schedules. That's, that's a gift. Like that time is, is sometimes worth more than the content that we're talking about. I am just taking a note because I want to try this. Even with my like calendar scheduling app, I set it to 25 minutes rather than 30 and like 50 minutes instead of an hour. So I always get a little buffer before or after a call. That is so smart. Why didn't I think of that, right? It's another one of those. You you are the master of taking something that once you say it, it's so simple and obvious, but getting to that point is really difficult. So that's a, that is a skill. I didn't come up with a lot of these things. I probably, same as you or someone else, I just heard it once and I'm like, I need to implement this and then it's implemented. And I've been trying to do this uh, for my own training for a long time. I'm still struggling because right now the sessions are two hours. And even for those people don't usually are super drained at the end. Sometimes it's like, wow, the time went by so fast because we're actually doing lots of different things. There's a lot of variety, like we do breakout rooms and we do polls and we have lots of conversations in the main room and I ask them to write things and draw things and like it's always different. And I think that's that's what I hope to see a lot more people do when they're leading groups, if it's for a course or in a community, like keep it interesting. Well, yeah, and this kind of relates to something you mentioned to me before we hit record, which is that you're launching a connection activities database. And I think that is one of those things that's so important because I think we're all sick of the same stale getting to know you activities at the beginning of a Zoom call kind of thing. So tell us more about this and where we can find it, because I think that is a perfect thing to end on. And then I have two questions my producer wants me to ask you that are totally random and they're, I can't wait to hear the answers. So we'll start with our speed fire round. Nice. Yeah, pre, pre, it's the pre rapid fire. 
<laughs> Ooh, free rapid fire. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to look forward to that. Yes. So the database itself started because I realized that I'm spending a lot of time for every event, for every workshop, recreating basically the same thing. And that's also where just building that framework of creating the campfire came in and I started filling in the blanks with different activities. And if there's one tool that I fell in love with just before the pandemic, it has to be Notion. I don't know if you know about Notion, but like my whole life and business organized on there. And I just started putting, every time I did an activity, put it in that database. Every time I read about an activity, put it in the database. Every time I was a participant in somebody else's session, I put it in that database and it just kept growing and growing. I think by now there's over 600 activities in there, but I have to say it's still kind of pretty unorganized. So what I started doing just recently is start cleaning them up, actually put together some facilitator tips, uh, variations, create some video tutorials and walkthroughs when I host an event and I run an activity and I put all of those activities together and made that available for people to join so they can ideally start with your kind of goal of your session mind or your theme, type in to the search or use one of the filters and find an activity for the unofficial start, which to me is like first thing when people log on to Zoom, you want to start engaging them. What are you going to do? Aside from just asking a question in the chat, there's lots of other things we can do. How do you do a check-in to make sure that we make sure people are like we, we check in how the energy is so we can adjust to how we facilitate. What are different ice melters? I call them ice melters, not ice breakers, because to me, ice breaker sounds a bit jarring and usually people cringe when they hear icebreaker. So ice melter goes really well with my fire metaphor because we're melting the ice with a little fire underneath. So all of those different activities are yeah, in there. By the time this podcast comes out, that should be available. Yeah, take my money. Where would people find that? I'm sure you can post a link in show notes as well, but it's jankeck.com slash CAD for Connection Activities Database or Canadian dollar because... I was going to (laughs) say... I miss Canada sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it is the best. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you. I cannot wait to get access to that because that is definitely a place I struggle. Actually, all the stuff you're doing, I love. Let's shift gears to a bit of the random. This is for David, our senior podcast producer. Tell us about the cat canoe trip. Why, where, how? <laughs> Ooh, so me and my wife, we love to go camping. And one canoeing trip, we came back and we saw this other family with a dog. And that year, I put on my vision board a picture of two people with a dog in the front of the canoe because my wife's a big dog person. I thought we would probably have a dog. Um, but then it so happened that a cat just showed up at the front of our door, walked through the door and we couldn't find the and owner, declared, you. Yeah. De- <laughs> declared us to be their new owner as cats do. And I thought, huh, now we have a cat. Do cats go camping? A quick Google turns out they do. And there's websites that teach you how, and they sell you equipment and all kinds of things. So we started practicing putting the cat on a leash around our house in the park. And then we did one trip where it was for a weekend and you put him in the canoe with a little life vest. And then he slept in the tent with us inside the sleeping bag. And I did a little video about it, which right now is still one of my most watched videos on my YouTube channel. Oh my gosh. Just when I thought I couldn't like wait 
to go see your YouTube. Now I got to see the the camping cat. What's your cat's name? Uh, his name was Gato. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Gato sounds like... And our new cat is not camping material. Indoor cat. <laughs> More of an indoor, indoor girl. cat <laughs> and uh, likes to hang out under the bed and behind furniture. Anytime there's a loud noise, she's like disappears. Nope. Yeah. Well, you know, that's um, amazing. I would have lost my marbles if I would have seen if I, I've never seen someone take a cat camping. We have dogs. We take our dogs. But um, I would abandon my dogs with my family to go play with someone's camp cat. That is awesome. That did not disappoint. Okay, and then the second pre-rapid fire question from David. You apparently once had coffee with the Colombian president. How did that happen? And most importantly, how was the coffee? The coffee was good. <laughs> In Colombia, they do something called cafecito, which is they boil the water with sugar cane. So it's sweet already. You don't need to add anything afterwards. And I met the Colombian president because, first of all, my wife is from Colombia. And we were there visiting some family friends for the carnival of the Blancos y Negros in Pasto, in the south of the country. And the parade was kind of going by with these really big floats and sculptures. And the president was supposed to come. They actually started late because he was late and they didn't want to start with him being there. And then he was on one of the floats and we were in this cafe looking down and when he was passing by somebody from the cafe calls out the president's name and like they were i don't know friends from a long time ago and is that come upstairs and have a coffee and some drinks and he basically said stop the parade i'm getting off here like the secret service or the version of it came in and like checked all the perimeter our phones stopped working and then the president walked in and sat down and chatted with everyone we took pictures so did the parade just pause the whole time he was there? No, they continued. Okay, good. I was going to say that's a... Wow. So that was a kind of surreal experience. Yeah, because I was, I think, one of the only like non-Colombians around there as well. And do you speak Spanish? Un poquito. I understand more than I speak. And I'm trying to remember, this was also a couple of years ago. I think he actually spoke to me in English. Did he? Yeah. I'm just picturing what I would do. So I'm picturing you sitting there like just like super focused on listening and like trying to like it's like catching phrases, catching things. I think I know what's going on. Is that seriously the president? <laughs> what is happening? Well, wow, you have a fun life, which I'm sure you already know. Adventure is one of my big values. So trying to seek it even in the small things. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Which is why the outdoors are so fun. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to go far. All right. Well, we are going to transition to the rapid fire round, not to be confused with David's questions. And David, thank you. Those were great questions. So how this works is I'm going to ask you a question and your goal is to do a short, rapid answer. So just like a sentence, even though I will want to know more, I will stop myself and we will continue to the next question. Are you ready? I will do my best because I also love questions and I will do my best to keep it Brief and short. It's hard. It's And then we'll continue afterwards. Or if anybody's listening, wants to know more, message me. I know, right? Well, I always thought it'd be fun to do like bonus episodes where then we just go into detail on all the... Ooh, I'm going to talk to David. David, write that down. Okay. <laughs> David's always listening. Okay. Jan, when you were a child, 
what did you want to be when you grew up besides a camp counselor? The one thing that comes to mind is private detective. I actually did have a private detective agency that I started with my friend and we just went around the neighborhood following people without getting caught and doing all kinds of fun things. My God, we would have been really good friends as children. How do you define community? A group of people that align with their values and make each other feel seen and heard and ideally also a sense of belonging that exists within it. Wow, chef's kiss. Okay, I can't wait to hear this one. So what is something that's on your quote unquote bucket list that you have done? That I have done? That's a really good question. I need to remember that. I did skydive in New Zealand and I remember that was always on my bucket list and it actually happened on the day before Christmas and it was a beautiful sunny day just before sunset, the last flight they did before they all went on the Christmas holiday. Did not disappoint. And then what is something on your bucket list that you have not yet done but want to do? That's a really good question because I feel like a lot of the things I have not thought about my bucket list in a long time. So that's maybe a question I need to ponder on and get back to you. Okay, we can do that. What's a book that you love and would recommend to everyone? The Art of Gathering, Priya Parker, because that's a book that I reference a lot in my workshops as well. And just the one first chapter about figuring out the purpose of you gathering before you invite or do anything is a lesson that I think everybody needs to take to heart. I feel personally called out by that. Just kidding. Okay. I can't wait to hear this one. Jan, if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would it be? Because I just moved, I don't feel like I want to move anywhere else right now because that move was a lot of work. Selling things on like Facebook Marketplace and like Craigslist for like weeks. I'm so happy being, yeah, being where we are right now, which is closer to family. That's great. That works. And then final question, how do you want to be remembered? Oh my God, this is actually a question that I have on a deck of question cards that I created. And I hope that I'm remembered as a person that allowed two other people to connect with each other. Like even thinking of the cards that have been used by some friends who then started a relationship because of the conversations that they've had or in a workshop to spark some interesting conversations because there's pretty deep and vulnerable questions on there. Like, how do you want to be remembered is a pretty deep question. So I'm glad that you have actually been asking that at the end of our session where we've already built a little bit of a fire. Oh, right? look at that. Not as the first thing that we're coming in. <laughs> first question, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's what I hope people will, will remember me for as somebody who sparked a connection. I love it. That is the perfect place, I think, to end this episode anyways. I kind of want to do a follow-up episode or at least chat a bunch on the internet. Jan, I think we know the answer because I've been asking you throughout the interview, but for the sake of consistency, where can people find you online? If you go to jankek.com, that's my website. You will find links to all of the other places. But if you search for Mr. Jan Keck, MR Jan Keck, that's where I'm on most of the social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and joining my little community of, of guests and community enthusiasts. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was super fun. Yeah, it was. All right. Take care. 
And that was the interview with Jan, which, uh, so fun. I just want to go <laughs> start a detective agency around the neighborhood with Jan. That sounds completely like a genius idea. The child version of me would have been down with that. The adult version of me is pretty also down with that. Let's investigate. One investigation I could do is who's letting their dog poop in our neighborhood and not picking them up. Hmm. Anyways, that's we'll save that for a later episode or not at all. Let's talk about what's going on with Jan and the virtual summits and everything he's doing. So after we spoke, I went and looked at his virtual summit offering the cohorts he does. And there is a video. I recommend you go and watch it. It's very funny. The intro part to it of trying to be on a call and everyone's turned their camera off and whatnot. He definitely had a lot of fun making that. It was a lot of fun to watch. And randomly, there was a cameo of one of the people helping him out with that, pretending to be super bored. That's a SPI pro member. Shout out to Kaylin Huntress, who it makes sense. There's a lot of social proof with Jan's cohorts because Kaylin is someone that before I didn't know he had gone through this, but he's an excellent virtual facilitator. In fact, in pro, he has hosted different engagement type meetups for our members that are always just fantastic. So it tracks, it makes sense. Shout out to Kaylin. So beyond that, yeah, this was the great conversation. And I loved, especially, I mean, so many things, but I loved especially talking about building trust with people and starting small and not expecting people to jump onto, especially, you know, a Zoom call and then go into a breakout room and feel comfortable, like getting thrown into a room with someone. Like, yeah, it's kind of overwhelming. And in person, you kind of just have to do it. But if you're on Zoom, you can be like, oops, I hit end call. <laughs> and you can, you can bounce. So there's definitely an art to building that trust, getting people more comfortable, feeling safe, and then working into those more intimate activities or experiences that you'd want people to kind of let their guard down for. And the campfire analogy was especially poignant as someone who loves to camp and knows how to build a fire with the right materials. <laughs> I've yet to try to do it with rubbing two sticks together, but there's that too. However, as an analogy for um, starting something, creating creating an experience with people. Like, I love that. And I think in community, it makes perfect sense. And you can think about new members joining, you know, and how do you get them from that kindling to the full on roaring fire as far as their level of comfort. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jan and have some ideas for how to beat the Zoom fatigue and maybe up your virtual facilitation skills. Check out the connection activities database we talked about. It's at yankeck.com slash C-A-D, which may mean Canadian dollar and it may mean connection activities database. We'll never know. Check that out. And also when you're there, you can go and check out his virtual summit video that I think is hilarious. So tell me if you think it's hilarious and don't be shy. What did you learn today? Or is there anything you want to add to this conversation? I would love to hear from you and talk about the episode over on the old Twitter sphere. We are at team SPI. And while you're here, if you've made it this far, 
consider leaving a review in Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts for the show. We'd love to get your feedback. And we haven't had a review in a while. And so I've been asked to ask you that. And I feel weird asking you. So I'm telling you why I'm asking. (laughs) But really, we'd love a review. It does help the show. And yeah, on that note, I will see you next Tuesday. You can find Jan all over the internet, per usual. Check out his website at jankek.com. That is spelled J-A-N-K-E-C-K.com. And on all the socials, he is Mr. Jan Keck. Very formal. So just all one word. Mr. Jan Keck on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever your social media dreams are made. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.